the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. We just heard the gospel, the account of how on that first Easter morning, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb and she finds Jesus. She sees him there. The risen Christ is there before her. But notice how she sees him. She only sees him through her tears. So often I think Jesus appears to us exactly where we are, using all that we are. For Mary, it was through her tears that she could see him. The disciples, who don't know quite what to do and run home or, go, or back to work, find Jesus there. The disciples who go fishing find Jesus on the beach, and he cooks breakfast for them. The disciples who go fishing find him there. The other disciples who are trying to hide go to a locked upper room, and there Jesus appears. And of course, probably St. Thomas is the most famous to to meet Jesus on his own terms. St. Thomas is filled with doubt. He's not sure about any of this. And so Jesus appears to him in his doubt, perhaps because of his doubt, The risen Christ meets us, but we might see him in very different places under very different circumstances. Where do you look for him? Do you look for Christ in church, in music, in scriptures? Do you look for Christ, the the central expression of God's love in in a child, in a baby, in an animal? Do you look for the risen Christ in friends or family, in tradition, in prayer, in nature, in political action or process, in resistance, in fighting, in medicine or art? Where do you seek the risen Christ? A few years ago, I was in a a clergy group that would meet every Tuesday, and we would study the scriptures for the upcoming Sunday, and we would have lunch and share stories. And there was one minister in particular who always had a good story, but I remember one in particular. Earlier in his ministry, he had pastored a church in a small town in Ohio, somewhere outside of Cleveland. And he told us about what winter was like in that town. Some of you may be from that part of the world, and so you know it better than I. But he said winter felt like it went on forever. Winter was cold and overcast and windy and wet. Wet, wet, and wet. If it wasn't water, it was snow, it was slush, and there was always mud until the spring thaw. My friend Terry had a parishioner named Elizabeth. And Elizabeth and her husband had met when they were young, but her husband James went off and fought in Vietnam, and he came back a different person. He suffered from PTSD. It took its effect on their marriage, their friendships, their wider family. They had a rough time the first few years of their marriage. 
Eventually they got help, they worked through things, they learned to face demons and live beside several demons and to move on. And so what, what happened for them was this deep, deep relationship of love between each other and with God. It was an amazing marriage, Terry said. And then after 18 years together, James came down with a nasty form of cancer and died within six months. It was all too fast for Elizabeth, way too fast. It was too soon, too much was unfinished. They had plans, he was young, she was young. There were all sorts of things they were going to do, and she was in no way prepared to live without him. And so it showed. She grieved deeply and fully. This small town knew her well, and everyone surrounded her as best they can but, or could, but didn't know what to do or what to say. She really couldn't be helped. My friend, her pastor, didn't know what to do but pray and, and show up, but it didn't seem to help. She was deep, deep in her grief. And finally, a year's anniversary approached at James, her husband's death. And Elizabeth worked up her nerve and spoke to my friend, her pastor, and said, You know what? I think I'm ready to visit the cemetery. I haven't been since the funeral, but I think I'm ready. Can you meet me there? And so they made plans, but he was cautious, and he almost discouraged her and said, well, don't you want to wait until the spring? Remember, it's winter. It's going to be muddy. It's going to be wet. It's going to be gray and overcast. She thought about that, but thought, no, this is the time I want to go. Meet me there if you can. And so he agreed. And so the day came. The night before they were to meet, it snowed. And so because of the rain and the snow and all the moisture in the ground, the next morning when Elizabeth arrived at the cemetery a little early, without Terry there, she walked in on her own. She trudged through the mud, through the, the slush and the snow. Then she started to weep. Everywhere she looked, she saw signs of death. The trees didn't have leaves on them. Uh, there was equipment sitting out. Some snow had fallen, but the mud showed through. It looked like they were working on one building. As she looked at the graves themselves, the winter had taken their toll, and it seemed as though all of the graves had sunken a little bit. And so this is what she saw on this first anniversary of her husband's death. And so she began to cry, and cry and cry uncontrollably. It was like everything in her cried. She was crying so badly, so fully, that she almost didn't hear the backhoe, the tractor-like machine, as it drove up the hill. And as she heard it, she knew that was her neighbor George, George the caretaker of the cemetery, and she thought, oh no, George is going to see me and he's going to try to be helpful and say something nice. And she just wanted to hide and kind of fall into one of those sunken graves. But she stood there and didn't look up. And she thought if she ignored him, maybe he would ignore her. She heard the backhoe turn off and she felt an arm around her. He said, Elizabeth, why are you crying? She just nodded and pointed to the graves. She couldn't find words, but just cried some more. 
And then he looked with her and he said, you know, to me, the snow looks a little bit like those white cloths that the first women saw when they went to find Jesus. And the ground that's sunken on the tops of the graves looks that way because no one is there. The graves are empty. They're risen. Go home, Elizabeth, and live. She felt his arm withdraw, and she heard the backhoe crank up again and roll down the hill. But she felt different. She looked out at the cemetery, and it looked different. The sun was beginning to peek through the clouds even, and she just felt better somehow. And so she walked to the gates of the cemetery, and by then her her friend and pastor Terry had showed up and was waiting for her there, and she looked ten years younger to him. She said, Terry, come on, let's have breakfast, I'll buy. And so of her coffee, she began to explain the story to her friend. Terry listened and tried to compose himself as he heard this story. And he wondered whether he should speak or not, but he let her talk. And finally, when she stopped, Terry said, Elizabeth, that's fine. I don't doubt a word. But you should know that George Smith is at his daughter's house in Cleveland. He's been gone all week. Christ is risen. Christ rises still. Wherever there is pain or need or suffering, he rises. In the midst of joy and promise and work well done, Christ rises. In the midst of play or challenge or relationships, good ones, bad ones, ones on the mend, Christ rises for us, with us. And so with Easter hearts burning within us, Let us see and know the risen Christ in our lives, and let us all be renewed to be his friends and followers. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.